This is the Candidly Kim Podcast. Welcome to the Candidly Kim Podcast. I'm here with our awesome producer, Doran Barton. Say hi. Hi. And uh, we just uh, had Thanksgiving this week, and uh, I, I think what everybody wants to know is, Doran, uh, were you an obedient servant, and did you did you mind the laws and the protocols for COVID at Thanksgiving? No comment. Oh, can you just plead the fifth? <laughs> uh, but did you have a nice Thanksgiving? We had a great Thanksgiving. You're welcome. <laughs> so, um, apparently, I saved Thanksgiving. Uh, Phil Lyman and I, in particular, saved Thanksgiving. I think actually, um, I I think the Tribune tried to make it sound like uh, Phil and I were somehow uh, these rebel antagonists, um, and turns out. What, People did he, were very thankful because did, they believed we we saved Thanksgiving. Did Phil like ride his ATV through Thanksgiving? Or? <laughs> um, every chance he gets. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but uh, okay. So here's what happened: is there was a closed caucus in um, our Utah legislature, and stuff came out. So I, I think we should probably just tease up what we're going to talk about today. Okay. So we are going to wade into crazy town territory. So I'm going to finally take on some COVID stuff. We've been a little bit uh, uh, safe on our podcast. <laughs> and that's just, you know, I, I was getting twitchy about being safe <laughs> talking about COVID, but it's time. Okay. It's time to talk about, it's time to talk very candidly about some stupid stuff. Okay. Okay. So let's start with our closed caucus. Now, um, let me just disclose what that is. Uh, legislative bodies um, are usually able to meet separately as party caucuses. Those are not required to be open. Uh, there are meetings where we're, uh, we may strategize, we may talk about policy. Uh, it, it gives us an opportunity to, to maybe be a little bit more disclosing about our, our thoughts, um, ideas behind legislation, uh, and work some things out with, with our tribe, with, with okay. our team. So, you know, both parties do this? Both parties do it. And then I imagine there are caucuses of smaller groups, you know, like maybe you have a caucus of people that, uh, that the electric car caucus, for example, you know, legislators, <laughs> there, you know. The, so, the, so yeah, you, we have a clean air caucus. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, that's a popular one. We've got a conservative caucus, a rural caucus, uh, but definitely the parties meet um, and the separate chambers. So in, uh, you know, in the House, there's a Republican and a Democrat caucus. Go down to the Senate, Republican, Democrat, Senate. Both of us, both Republican caucuses have super majorities. And, uh, but the Senate has, they have a tradition and a policy of never opening their caucus meetings. Uh, the, the House uh, frequently, I, I would say the default is our, our meetings are open. Uh, occasionally, we will close them. But then you have speculation for oh why you know, what is so you know so secretive that that the uh, the house closed their caucus so 
Um, I, I think generally the, there's been a feeling that because the caucus is so large uh, and a supermajority, um, it's kind of, a, you know, it's just a, a gesture that we make those open. Uh, but sometimes we close them. And we had a closed one right before Thanksgiving to discuss COVID. Turns out it wasn't so closed. Okay. Um, this, uh, there were a lot of agencies there that were reporting. Um, and, and so I, I, I want to first disclaim that I don't reveal anything from the closed caucuses. I, I, I respect my colleagues' um, d desire to have those be confidential and, and um, be able to speak candidly. Uh, but I do feel like uh, when you bring the world into our caucus meeting and then somebody goes out and, um, and does betray that confidentiality and, and leaks to the paper, which is also seems to be a frequent thing that happens with our closed caucuses. Somebody out there really wants to be on the good side of some newspaper because uh, who knows why, be, you know, um, they're still not going to invite you to the cool kid parties, but because you're a Republican. Um, but, uh, I do feel like when you go out and you disparage me, or at least you uh, are trying to disparage me, or at least you tell Robert Gerke enough that he chooses to try to disparage me, I, I probably get to come in and talk, talk a little bit more. Fair right? enough. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so I'm not going to tell you a whole lot, but I will tell you this much because this is, this is known and it's reported now it's out there. So we had a bunch of the agencies come. It ended up being a four-hour caucus meeting um, with our governor, lieutenant governor, um, heads of departments, our state epidemiologist, and uh, we got what the legislature uh, likes to call dog and pony. That's a presentation, bells and whistles, and, uh, and we sat and listened. So, <laughs> so here's something that gets me. We're into this pandemic for how long? I mean, we're nine months, nine months. months into yeah. this. This is the first time, the first time the executive branch comes in and says, oh, I think I want to talk to you guys now. Really? Now? Now. But this nine is months later. This is exactly what you were calling for. I, I've been calling for this for, well. A long time. Uh, I've been calling for the legislature to call itself into session and, and let us have hearings let us uh, be discoverers of facts mm -hmm. and information. Uh, let us deliberate as our bodies are met to do and then vote. Right. Okay. Um, let some of the executive departments and the lieutenant governor, Corona task force, epidemiologists, whoever, uh, let them come and sit on a stand and present information as part of our discovery, as part of our, um, our, our search for information. Right. Um, but when you come and you take up two hours and tell us what you want us to know, and then here were the rules that were set out at the beginning, no questions Oh gosh! as we went along. So, um, and, and you know, it, it's hard to keep 60 or so uh, politicians <laughs> uh, in... Um, organized and 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 um on task and um kind of keep us what's the what's the word i'm looking for 
Um, it, so it, it is really kind of hard to control that many people with a lot of questions that we have. After nine months times 60 people, we had a lot of questions. Uh-huh. Um, but interesting thing, you now go into the chambers and there's plexiglass. And you can't see anybody now. So what I'm, <laughs> one of the first things I notice is how much I really, uh, you really do rely on your uh, sensory input. And, and communication that happens in a room. Uh, my husband, Joel, is he's a superintendent of Schools for Deaf and Blind, and he has designed a couple of schools now with something they call Deaf Space. And uh, it's, it's, it's this idea that, um, uh, of course, the uh, people who are deaf or hard of hearing really use a, a lot of um, nonverbal cues and just just sensory, all over sensory perception, uh, visually. And so there are no walls in his schools, no walls. It's very open. Uh, Where there are partitions, it's glass, it's plexiglass, so you can see. So I notice, uh, and then they're finding out that that design is good for everybody, not just deaf and hard of hearing, but that everybody takes in so much of their environment and so that's the first thing I notice is all of these plexiglass cubicles now, and they're all at different angles, so the glare is different. I literally can't see the person six feet from me anymore. And that's when I realized you know, there's a whole lot, of, um, whole lot of communication that goes on across a room when you're deliberating and things are moving fast during a session. Um, so, so, so then we're told... Uh, no questions, but we're going to wait till the end. And the way our caucus goes, and you've noticed this if, you're, if you've ever been in one of our open uh, caucuses, is we take our turns. We raise our hand, and, and our turn comes. And even if we have follow-up questions on, on a topic, it, you know, we just have to wait our turn. So two hours, and I would say nine months and two hours <laughs> later, um, you know, I, I thought, I don't wait. I don't want to f- forget my questions. So I found that my plexiglass cubicle now became a really handy platform for all my sticky notes with my questions on my sticky notes. <laughs> so I now had like a wall of pink sticky notes. So I, I could remember my questions. It was kind of ridiculous. But if, uh, if someone asked my question, I'd take that off the wall. But inevitably, stick another one up there. Should have taken a picture of that. But... Um, but I had a lot of questions. I mean, I had a lot of questions. And after nine months, and they're not just my questions. They are questions that are prompted by uh, the citizens I represent um, and some of some citizens I don't represent who um, have just tons of questions. So, uh, so we get to me, and, um, and I have my questions. Now, here's what, here's what the Tribune said about me and Phil Lyman, um, that we challenged the governor, that we challenged his authority, that I challenged his authority. Um, I, I don't challenge uh, the governor's authority generally, but I have definitely challenged his authority um, in some decisions He's made and and the well not the decisions per se but the authority. Um, 
But I didn't in that meeting. I, that that was a different sort of decorum and and not the place you know to challenge uh, someone's authority. Okay. So do you think that maybe they were grasping beyond this caucus meeting and and just making a comment about you in general? They, you know, it, it's it's possible. Um, I was also accused of calling him a tyrant. And so I, I, I haven't called the governor a, a tyrant and um, or that, that we're in a tyrannical situation. And so I have often taught talked about it and, and even before COVID right. um, have often talked about why the separation of powers is so important that it is the way we maintain freedom it is how and freedom is the opposite of tyranny so it is how we prevent tyranny um, it, it is it's a different leap to say that I called the governor a tyrant um, but anyway but you didn't use those words I didn't, I didn't use those words I, I'll tell you what I said Okay. Because I think it's fair for me to put on the record. And, you know, what this might do, though, is all the people that um, feel like I, I helped save Thanksgiving, um, this might burst the bubble a little bit because, um, yeah, not so much. Uh, there were a couple other people in that meeting that were a lot more direct about um, their feelings of executive orders regarding Thanksgiving. Um, but I did uh, talk about the fact that I had so many questions, a little bit discouraged that here we were um, spending a lot of time uh, getting some data points, but not really having the ability to deep dive. And, um, and I, you know, I talked about that, you know, I'm leaving the legislature in just a couple of weeks now. I mean, we're in December, so the days are, the days are numbered for me in the legislature. And, and I, I did speak to the fact that um, you know, a little bit sad to be leaving the legislature and, and all the great work that, that um, I've been able to be a part of. Um, but, but the fact that what we do there, what we do there, the fact that we come together, we share, we bring representative voices of 40,000 people each into that big room. Um, and then we go to our committees, we deliberate, we discover, we hear this testimony, we hear information, and not just from one side, but we hear it from all kinds of sides. We hear it from anybody, really, who wants to sit on a stand and share with us um, how uh, they're being impacted by public policy or lack of public policy in an area. We hear testimony. And um, the beauty of those committee processes um, is that... Um, it's just open and it's transparent and, and it's the best thing about our American government is or one of the great things about our American government is that transparency. And, and we just haven't had that through the COVID situation. We just haven't had it. Um, it's been one side, it's been the executive branch. And, and, um, and so, you know, I just sort of lamented again that um, I would really love to see that that the governor's approach to our COVID response is to implement the least intrusive measure to accomplish what we need to accomplish and keeping people safe. Um, but that I still had so many technical questions. I had questions about the testing. I have questions about the reporting. I have questions, and we're seeing this around the country. It's This is not unique to Utah. But um, we used to refer to cases as people who were sick 
people who are, are being hospitalized, but now cases is, is any positive test. I had questions about, are we using a super sensitive test? Are we using pooled testing? I had all these questions, um, a whole lot of questions. Um, I have, have a question about why we aggregate data uh, in age groups of 15 to 25 and 14, you know, what is it, 5 to 14, why we aggregate 15-year-olds to 25. That doesn't tell us what we need to know about a high school. Right. And um, did you know that? No. I, I mean, yeah. So if you, I, if you pull up the, the charts that you've got in front of you, Doran, um, that, that is, you know, 1 to 14, 15 to 24. 15 to 24, 15 to 24. And then 25 to 44. And so, you know, one of my questions, but I get one question in our caucus yeah. meetings. You get one question, really. And, um, but I had so many still. So, so I did encourage the government, the, the governor to exercise the least intrusive, intrusive measures to accomplish what we need uh, to accomplish. And then I complimented the lieutenant governor for finally asking, for finally coming to us and saying, what is it that, you know, he, he, he said, what is it that you want? What is it that you want us to do? And, you know, after nine months, thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you for asking. Um, but we've been out of this loop for a long time. And uh, I would like to know what the plan is to bring the legislature, the policymakers, the elected policymakers that represent you, represent the people. Uh, when are you going to bring us into the loop? When are you going to bring the people uh, back into the loop? Um, and that's basically what I said. You know, we're two, two hours into a meeting where we had we had to sit on our hands, stick sticky notes on plexiglass, and wait for our one question. And this coronavirus and our government's response deserves a lot more than two hours. And we ended up having another about hour and a half of questions uh, that were answered and again. I feel like my 40,000 people that I represent are entitled to a lot more than one question and the three minutes that I took on the floor to express these things. Um, I think the people of Utah deserve a lot more than that three and a half or so hours of nine months into this pandemic. So um, that sort of sets the record straight. So there's nothing really in there that I, I save Thanksgiving, but, you know, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> and Phil's, uh, you know, Phil Lyman also just had, you know, um, well, he can speak for himself, but um, but he didn't use the word tyranny either, <laughs> tyranny either that I can remember. Um, but uh, this is a, it was a great concern to me. So, so we, we got graphs. And some of these graphs you can find online. Uh, we, we got data thrown at us, but not to any level of specificity that I felt comfortable with. We literally just skimmed right over um, this many ICU beds are occupied right now. Boom, 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 boom. How many people you think out of the 60 or so in that room wanted to know how many of those are COVID patients? 
I would think you, that'd be question number you one. You would think that that would be a relevant question to ask. Uh, okay, wait, 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 wait. But they've already moved on, and we got to wait two hours before we can ask a question. And uh, but th- those were some of the things that were troubling to me. Is that we we got very um, high level, uh, not high level, but superficial, but superficial. Yeah, very superficial, very brief. Um, data points that we didn't really get to um, ask a lot of the questions, and you know we're out of time. We're out of time, and um, I, I I am grateful that the uh, lieutenant governor of the governor's office finally, after nine months, said, "What is it that you want us to do?" Um, now, by the way, that was a rhetorical question because there was no means and no process for us to really let him know what we wanted him to do and um, what uh, most of us want him to do is let us be the legislature. Right. Discover, hear testimony um, and, and weigh facts and then make decisions. So, uh, so if, if he really wants to know what we want him to do, then um, he would, he would urge us to call ourselves into special session and do our job. So, um, anyway, but after nine months, he finally did that. Okay. So, um, there are just some crazy things still going on with COVID though. Right. Okay. So I want to cut to, uh, the Tucker Carlson, um, his monologue from last night. Okay. This is the part about, uh, Anthony Fauci. This is the part about, uh, goalposts, Fauci. Okay. <laughs> Being the goalpost constantly. But it is, a, it is a very stark message. It is that um, health officials have tortured our children, America's school children, for nine months. And now we know it's all for nothing. This virus is not a threat to children. As de Blasio put it in that weird euphemistic way that dumb people speak, quote, we know that the health realities for the youngest kids are the most favorable. Well, yes, we do know that. We've known it for a long time. We knew it when Bill de Blasio shut down New York schools. And Tony Fauci knew it too, though he didn't say anything about it. Now he's decided to say something about it eight months late. Here's Anthony Fauci on Sunday. And as you watch this, keep in mind that this man on the screen is leading our response, America's response to the coronavirus. Close the bars and keep the schools open is what we really say. Obviously, you don't have one size fits all. But as I said in the past, and as you accurately quoted me, the default position should be to try as best as possible within reason to keep the children in school or to get them back to school. If you look at the data, the spread among children and from children is not really very big at all, not like one would have suspected. Oh, I've always said you should keep the schools open, says the man in charge of America's coronavirus response to a nation whose schools have been closed for months. Right. Yeah, I always said that. Check the tape. Because, quote, if you look at the data, says Anthony Fauci. But wait a second. Why is this just now occurring to Tony Fauci? Isn't this Fauci's entire job to, quote, look at the data? Okay, so um, so absolutely frightening. And then what do we do? So we have what one thing we did learn in our uh, closed caucus the other night is uh, 
that we are all over the place with education. So where I have a 2,700 kid high school that shuts down over, you know, a couple dozen cases of, of COVID, you have other smaller schools, smaller schools that will have 40 cases and before they close. So we're just all over the place. And um, this is, uh, it, it, it's, it just doesn't make sense to any of the kids. And as we pointed out in, in one of our previous podcasts, uh, football was allowed. Football, cheer, and dance? So not dance. All, all, it's, it's the football ecosystem. Oh, okay. It's your Friday night lights. It's the team. Oh, it's the drill team it's that comes out during halftime. Okay. Because, yeah, it's football. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but none of the other uh, academic teams or athletic teams, uh, performing arts teams, were able to, to get together. And, um, and there is absolutely no science behind that. It makes no sense. And I think the thing that makes people crazy is is when it doesn't make sense. And I'll tell you what right. makes me crazy as a mom when I can't explain it to my kids. Yeah. yeah we had a discussion it. in our house about the fact that uh, the the high school swim teams are no longer allowed to use the county facilities for practice. They can't swim in chlorine, chlorinated water. Chlorinated water. You know, and here's the thing. Okay, we want to say... People want to say, well, it's a novel virus. It's a novel coronavirus. We don't know anything about this novel coronavirus. Okay, so f for one, we do know a lot now. Um, but what we knew in the beginning is we may not know a lot of details on this particular coronavirus. We, we, we weren't sure of all the symptoms. The symptoms kind of changed and the list, you know, grew over right. time. Uh, we're, of course... Because we're nine months into this, we're still learning what sort of maybe the long-term impacts are. But some of the things we do know is we know how viruses work. Right. I mean, we know how viruses <clears throat> work. And um, so this is a new virus, but it behaves in most ways like other viruses. Right. It's More how, you know, it's your, it's your basic taxonomy is how a virus is different from bacteria, is different from fungi, is different from uh, other organisms. So, so we know some things about the virus. Um, but sometimes we're, and, and here's where I'm going to get kind of into challenging some of the COVID things, because up to now I haven't challenged mask mandates. I haven't challenged um, social distancing. I haven't really challenged any of the policies. Um, I've challenged processes, but let's talk about some policies finally. Um, we finally get some good studies that come out and say, uh, you know, um, the notion of asymptomatic people spreading the virus. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. And, and this is simple science. If you if you don't have enough virus or vi viral uh, load or viral shedding to make you sick, how do you possibly make the person sick across the room from you right. or sitting next to you on the bus? Right, and that comes back to the test being so sensitive that it detects this minute amount of virus and calling that a positive test case where... It doesn't make you sick. It doesn't make you contagious. But you, yes, you you are positively, <laughs> you're positively uh, COVID positive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so 
But here's the problem with this. Here's really what I want to talk about. Um, so stay safe, okay? Social right. distance. Um, the mask uh, the mask effectiveness we have, I mean, there are two camps. And it's very clear. There are, there are the masks, you know, absolutely. And, and if you don't wear a mask, you're killing my family. And then there's the, anti, the anti-mask. And there's science on both sides of this. Right. Science on both sides. Good, reliable science on both sides. De- defensible on both sides. Both sides can produce something. Um, the problem I have is when this study came out that said, oh, yeah, hey, it's a virus. A virus is going to virus, and it doesn't spread if, if you're asymptomatic, um, is when all of a sudden those articles disappear. Right. And then a new campaign starts up about, oh, that's just wacko conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So th- this, is, this is the thing that really concerns me, Doran. It's, it's like cancel culture on facts. It's, it is science, fact, cancel culture. And why? But um, it, why? It doesn't fit the narrative. Um, I, I say that a lot of times I wear a mask because it makes other people feel good. If I go to a gas station, if I'm not feeling symptomatic and I know I'm not going to be in there for very long, I, sh- I don't really have anything to worry about. I could go in without a mask, but I wear a mask because I know it's going to make other people feel better. Um, okay. So uh, being conditioned or shamed out of, um, you know, the, this, this notion of do it, do it because it makes other people feel good. Um, could there possibly be any problem come from that? (laughs) Um, because isn't that just maybe just fundamentally Christian or, you know, fundamentally, uh, human to want to care about other people's feelings and comfort levels? Yeah. So is, is there a line? I I mean, when does it? When does when do you cross? Of course, there's a line. When do you cross that? I don't know. <laughs> um, so this, I hope that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> well, I, I mean, but seriously, it is because <clears throat> I think I think sometimes we uh, we can confuse that. I think that there is a line between, um, you know, I I will put. The, the mask on because um, I respect your business and that's what you want. Or or I, I know I have a friend who's very concerned about her spouse who um, who has some uh, immune deficiencies. So, yeah, we're driving in a car and I'm wearing a mask. I'm going to wear a mask for her. Um, the mask the, the mask wearing is is uh, is is not too inconvenient for most people. Um but yeah, if, if it was like, okay, you need to wear a res, you know, a, um, an oxygen respiration system or something, you know, where everybody has to carry around their own rebreather or something, a scuba suit. Okay, uh, but, well, <laughs> but okay, you have, but you also have people who feel like um, the mask is not convenient, right? Um, they believe it impedes oxygen, oxygen, or, and there's or, there's good science for that, really. Um, and then I started watching a video uh, this afternoon ab- about oral health um, and the mask and skin health and a- all these different things. So, uh, 
I don't think it's it's simply a matter of it's it's an easy enough thing to throw a mask on um, when when it becomes hours and certain activities or certain other impacts. I think there there's definitely the camp out there that's that says you know. Well, I think there's definitely something wrong with people who feel that the mask makes you um, invulnerable. You know, that if you're wearing a mask, you're safe because we know that's not true. Uh, The mask might give you some protection, but that still means you should be social distancing, you know, um, not going out if you're sick, all that kind of stuff. I mean, those, those are probably more important, definitely more important than throwing on a mask. So let me use a term that I learned a couple weeks ago from one of my colleagues, a term called um, epistocracy. And I'm watching our time. Um, epistocracy. I'd never heard that before. Have you heard that? Not until now. It's not democracy. It's really not. Okay. <laughs> Even close to democracy. <clears throat> but it is a government that's based on um, the people in power being the most knowledgeable and then retaining that knowledge under themselves. And so when I go into that long um, caucus meeting uh, recently and I'm fed the stuff that someone wants to feed me, but I don't have really a robust opportunity to engage with the information and and to question, question, or even... Um, bring additional information in, into that. The people in power making these decisions are the keepers of knowledge and keeper, keepers of information. And um, it's really an insidious form of power because it simultaneously um, puts the knowledgeable on the pedestal and simultaneously says, you can't be trusted with information. Um, or you can't be trusted because you don't have the information. Or you can't be trusted because you don't. But but we're not going to let you in on all the information either. We're right. going to we're going to let you know what we want you to know. Um, or or we're, uh, you know, in some cases, as we talked about, we're going to cancel the information that's out there that we don't want you to know about. And we're going to keep you a little bit in the dark. So, so it is. It's um, it's abusive. It it is it um, keeping someone unempowered, keeping someone in the dark, withholding information from someone, um, and at the same time saying, "Now do what I say because I know better than you." Um, really, is abusive. Yeah, and we're seeing this not just from public health officials and and uh, government officials, but also tech. M- from the tech world, in 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 uh, social media, in in the Google sphere, all of this stuff. So um, it it really is. I, I think this is where you're starting to see more and more un- unrest with people. Uh, I don't even know that people are so objectionable to some of the th- some of the restrictions as much as this this feeling that you should be deprived of being able. To, um, to to be a keeper of knowledge or to be someone who has knowledge. I, I mean, um, that, that you can't express it. If you express something, to use your words, against the narrative, um, then you're, you're wacko. 
your conspiracy theorists. You're ignorant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's talk about this Hopkins study that that was put out and then retracted. Right. And you know, immediately as soon as it's retracted, you're like, so what? What? What was so controversial? Well, all they were really saying was that. The COVID deaths in America, and, and maybe it was worldwide, but I think it was just in America, haven't, they, they basically replaced the naturally occurring deaths that we would have any other year. Right. And, and so that begs a lot of questions. I don't think they speculated much in the article about what that means or anything. I mean, you know, you could say, well, people are being so much safer. They're not going places. They're not falling downstairs because they're just being more careful. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> no, it had to be retracted, right? Um, and it, and then there had to be a new uh, sort of narrative for why it was retracted in the first place, but um, but immediately labeled as bad science, as bad science. Um, and, and and who judges what's good science and bad science? I thought that you know if if you're a scientist and you and you do experiments and research and you come up with something that you think is uh, a value to the scientific world as a whole. You put it out there, and it gets reviewed by other scientists. Mm-hmm. But you know, if it's only up for less than a day, that doesn't happen. No, and um, it, you know, so that is, I, I think that is what we see a lot of people responding to, is 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 disrespect for a difference of opinions. Um, not having arenas to bring information and have it really thoroughly debated and deliberated. Right. This and, this particular um, study seems like it it could provide insight for for people in all different camps. Right. But no. So I, I remember bad. a couple years ago there was a, there was a, a, an abortion bill that we had in the legislature. And uh, it dealt with um, a, a medically induced, medicine-induced abortion. And, and this was an informed consent bill. So this was going to require that a physician, a clinician, uh, give additional information about this particular drug and the impact on the body and, and the fetus. And the argument, the debate was against this was not to confuse the woman, not to give her more information that might bias her against uh, proceeding with that abortion. But, and I found that so absolutely offensive. Yeah. I thought, how in the world are we discussing women's choices? And how is it at, at all that, and of course, these were Democrats, this is a party line vote, um, but the Democrats argued that we shouldn't we shouldn't be uh, confusing a woman with more information, and and I I had to speak at that time. It is so absolutely disrespectful and dishonoring of women to think that um, more information is bad for her. I mean, absolutely offensive. Um, we had we had another bill that had to do with um, a ballot initiative on a on a sales tax for gas. And on the ballot, it was going to say uh, that it would be a 10 cent, I think it was a 10 cent um, raise in the gas tax. 
Um, I and other people wanted the ballot to also reflect that that was a 33% increase. We literally argued. Now, this one was not party line. This one was all throughout um, both parties that, no, we should not confuse people with a fraction mm-hmm. or uh, with, a, with a percentage. Um, let, let's not burden human minds with math. Uh, just say ten cents. Everybody understands ten cents. But let's let's not let's not m- confuse people with uh, the fact that this was a thirty-three. But anybody who owns a home gets their assessment on their home's value and whatnot, and they get to see this is what it was last year. And this is what it is this year. I mean, that's that's a no. Pretty- people can't handle percentages. <laughs> So, um, so I've witnessed this, you know, these these several times where um, where policymakers uh, don't want you to have more information. Uh, they they and they hide behind this might confuse you or it's just too much. It's going to add extra words to things. And uh, you know, seriously, that I, I have a big big problem with that. Um, I promise you. I can handle information. I think I'm going to make a better decision with more information, not less. And uh, so when we see this um, epistocratic uh, movements in our state and in our country that really seeks to withhold information or only present uh, information as they want. A distilled, filtered, watered-down version of the truth. Right. So, uh, so, so that's where we are, and we've we've still got uh, just crazy things: closed bars, but not schools. Um, we have learned this novel coronavirus is so smart. Like um, it, it um, at ten o'clock, at ten o one, it really starts to attack people more. So we need to stop selling in bars. We need to stop selling alcohol at ten o'clock. Uh, these are the things that make people crazy when it makes no sense. Um, this was literally, literally the policy up till uh, the day before Thanksgiving. You could not have people in your home who were not members of your own household for dinner or to watch a movie or whatever. But if they spent the night, that was fine. You could have 50 people spend the night in your home, but you can't have your grandmother come over for Sunday dinner. Okay, so this 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 is when people start going on the conspiracy train, right? Is because there's no science there. You show me show me some science that justifies football and no other sport, um, sleepovers but no one over for dinner, um, closing down schools for 16 cases that may or may not even be severe cases or symptomatic cases. Um, there's no science. I mean, I mean, the science is baffling. And um, and this is when people are frustrated. Yeah. And we're done with this. And, and you know, there's, there's probably a little bit of, like, it seems like they're cherry picking all over the place. Well, it's, it's a patchwork of policy. It's a response to policy. Um, you know, the, the sleepover thing, you know, um, I, I, don't, I don't really mean to mock the individual policymakers. But when the policies are this absurd, um, you, you can't 
you, you can't ignore the absurdity of the policies. And so, so much of this has been reactionary to other to other things. And, and, and it, it feels like in a lot of cases, it's uh, some other state is doing this and we need to do something. So we should do what they're doing. Um, let me end on this school lunch. Okay. <laughs> My kids complain about this more than anything. And I don't know if you know that this happens. Copper Hills High School. I don't know who's to blame for this. But they have to sit in rows, shoulder to shoulder, at lunch. And now when they get out of the line, they can't just like go over and sit with their friends. They are cued to sit shoulder to shoulder at the lunch table. So my son was fussed at a couple of days ago or before the recent shutdown because he sat, he dared to sit on the other side of the table. Because he dared to sit on the other side of the table. So these are rows of kids <laughs> facing forward, um, shoulder to shoulder, but they can't sit across the table, okay? And, and he comes home and rightly says, where is the science there? So I'm talking to my buddy now. We're this close face to face, but I can't sit five feet, four feet from him. But you can if you go to a restaurant that has but an open dining room. you can yeah. if you go to a restaurant. But you can't have your buddy over for dinner. <laughs> Unless he sleeps. Unless he spends sleeps. Spends a night. Unless he spends a night. Which is really making trouble for me with my teenagers and, and dating and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so really, we have, we have uh, uh, President Arn of of Hillsdale College. I think he said it uh, the best recently when he was asked, you know, what do you what do you think about all this? And he said, I I I believe we have sustained the virus beyond common sense and there are political reasons for doing so. I think I got the quote right. I believe we have sustained the the virus beyond common sense. And I believe there are political reasons for doing so. Um, I'm on that train now. I, I've been I've been one that's uh, been puzzled by the science or lack of science, but it, it's really to the absurd point now. So anyway, um, have anything else to say, Doran, before we sign off for another episode of Canada Kim podcast? Nope. <laughs> I'm kind of confused about whether I should be wearing masks at the gas station now. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but at least I have more information. <laughs> that was canceled. Yeah. Uh, that was um, not a good enough scientist. That was a scientist that was, you know, maybe in the bottom 50% of her class. Or had some agenda. <laughs> Alrighty, well, thank you for joining us for the Candidly Kim podcast. Uh, find us, you can find us on Podbean, iTunes, uh, coming to Spotify if we're not canceled. And right. <laughs> uh, please follow us. This is uh, very important for us, but uh, share, share the podcast, uh, let your friends know about us, and uh, subscribe on Podbean and uh, give us a like, give us a share if you can, and uh, have a great night. Bye.